Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, joining us in the call today. I'm Walter Devet, and uh, with me in the room is my colleague, Rizwana Sumat, and our subject matter expert, Aubrey Machiki. The reason for our call today, um, you know, I think as everybody has, has once again been reminded this week that the political environment uh, and the political economy in South Africa remains quite fluent. Recently, we've published a paper looking at the impact of political uncertainty on growth and how the accompanied policy uncertainty transmitted by different channels into the economy and how this um, then impacts your asset allocation decision. Um, and what, you know, not surprisingly, one of the things that we found is that even a small improvement in the political economy can have a large compounding effect on growth and returns. Now, to discuss where we are going politically and whether three years down the line we will look back and say political uncertainty has decreased or increased is Aubrey. Aubrey, I think, needs very little introduction. Um, he's one of South Africa's most in-demand speakers on the subject of political state of our nation and continues to be an avid student in this um, area. In the past, he was a senior research associate at the Center for Policy Studies and also a research fellow at the Helen Suzman Foundation. Aubrey is a former mathematics science and English teacher, a strategist at the Premier's office in Gauteng, and he was also a former spokesperson at the MSc for Education in Gauteng. He is also a former member of the UDM, UDF, the African National Congress in Kontu Siswe, and also the South African Communist Party. He also writes currently a, day, a, a weekly column in Business Day and a monthly column for Engineering News. Aubrey, thanks so much for joining us. Um, before I, I, I give time to, to, for Aubrey um, to make some introductory remarks, um, please feel free to submit your questions in writing um, on the platform. And um, after about 15 to 20 minutes, we'll turn to Q&A and Aubrey will uh, address all the areas of concern. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Thank you, Walter. How was that? 16 years ago, the then President of the Republic, Tabombeki, fired the then Deputy President of the country, Jacob Zuma, and in so doing, set in train a set of events that ultimately led to his removal as president of the country in September 2008. A year before that, at the Bulukwane conference of uh, the ANC, Jacob Zuma was elected president of the ANC. And in 2009, he was elected head of state. If you fast forward to where we are today, it is very clear that Jacob Zuma still remains quite an influential figure at the center of South African politics. The events of yesterday alone the decision of the Constitutional Court to send him to jail for 15 months after finding him guilty of contempt for refusing to appear at the Zondo Commission 
illustrates this point quite eloquently. If we go back to June 2005, I wrote an article for the Business Day in which I argued that the ANC would never be the same again. And clearly, this has been proven to be true. The ANC itself admits that it has never been the same since the day Jacob Zuma was fired by Tabumbeki as deputy president of the Republic. At the end of the Bulugwana conference in December 2007, at which conference Jacob Zuma was elected president of the ANC, I wrote another piece in which I argued that the ANC would not get out of its continuum of factionalism, internal divisions and tensions before 2029. In my view, we are still on track because the ANC is much more factionalized today, more divided and tension-filled than it was at the time of the December 2007 Bulugwane conference. If anything, the internal crisis in the ANC has deepened. So the question is, what will save the country if the ANC continues to be factionalized and continues to be tension-filled and divided? In my view, there needs to be a decoupling of voters who supported the ANC, who have supported the ANC since 1994, from the ANC itself. Because for too long, what we have seen over the past 27 years, our weaknesses in our political system, particularly in our electoral system, an electoral system that for too long has been uncompetitive, thus producing the single-party dominance of the ANC for too long. And in turn, producing two other factors, a ruling party that has become desensitized to the needs of ordinary South Africans, and a ruling party that has unleashed or has imposed institutional uncertainty on the country, Hence, the noises you hear about the judiciary. Hence, the debates we have in the country about state capture, both of which are but two examples of the extent to which institutional uncertainty has set in because of our political reality of the single-party dominance of the ANC. And maybe at this point, I should give you the political calendar between now and 2029. In June this year, the ANC was supposed to hold its midterm National General Council, at which National General Council it would have assessed the implementation of policies that were adopted at its conference in Nazareth in 2017. The National General Council tends to do two things. Firstly, it signals the extent to which 
there will be policy shifts going forward. And secondly, it signals the direction the succession battle within the ANC will take going forward. In this case, prior to the 2022 National Conference of the ANC. Another thing that will follow on the calendar happens in June 2022, when the ANC holds its National Policy Conference, at which National Policy Conference it will craft the policy framework for the next term of government, that is between 2024 and 2029. And then in December 2022, the ANC holds its national conference, at which conference President Cyril Ramaphosa will either be re-elected or someone else will become the president of the ANC and head of state in 2024 if the ANC wins that election. As far as elections go, depending on what the panel that is assessing whether elections can happen this year, if it decides that elections can happen in October, as you know, we are going to our local government elections. And then, of course, in 2024, we go to the general election and we celebrate 30 years of our democracy. Now, yesterday's event, the fact that the Constitutional Court has found Jacob Zuma guilty of contempt and has decided that he should go to jail for 15 months should not be looked at in isolation. It should be looked at in terms of what I call the four storms that are approaching. The first storm is going to come from Uganda. The second storm is going to come out of conflict within the ANC. The third storm is going to come out of conflict within the Zulu Royal House. And the fourth storm is going to come out of the hunger of our people, hunger that is occurring as we speak, food insecurity that is occurring, that is part of the reality of more than 50% of South Africans, because the ANC has mishandled the COVID-19 crisis. The fifth storm is a perfect storm that will be caused by the convergence of the four storms that I have spoken about. So last night and the night before, I started getting reports that supporters of Jacob Zuma, particularly in hostels in two provinces, Gauteng and Guazulu-Natal, Natal, have been having meetings, at which meetings they've been discussing their response to the Constitutional Court judgment. Secondly, last night, I received disturbing reports that those who support Jacob Zuma, some of of them were brandishing AK-47s on their way to Nganja, where they are going to fortify the homestead 
of Jacob Zuma and where they will try to make sure that he is not arrested and therefore does not avail himself for imprisonment. Now, these reports should concern us for two reasons. You will remember that the ANC and the IFP were at war during the 80s and 90s in two provinces, Gauteng and Guazulu-Natal. You will also remember that peace was achieved, particularly in Guazulu-Natal, and Jacob Zuma was central in achieving that peace. The problem, however, is that that peace was achieved without a disarmament program, which means in Guazulu-Natal, there are arms caches lying around waiting to be accessed. And if they are, they will contribute to a creation of a climate of instability, politically, socially, and as a result, economically. Gauteng itself, which was the epicenter of the violence between the IFP and the ANC, achieved peace without a disarmament program, which means in Gauteng itself, we can safely assume that there are arms caches lying around waiting to be accessed. And that is why when you hear the son of the former president Zuma saying, if the police come to arrest his father, they will have to kill him first. Now, at one level, this is a statement of an angry and emotional son. But because this statement has been broadcast widely, we must also see it as a form of mobilization, a call to arms, to to those who support Jacob Zuma, to converge on Inganda, to defend Jacob Zuma and prevent him from being arrested. The second reason you must be concerned is the conflict that is going on within the Zulu Royal House, a conflict that may divide not only the Zulu Royal House, but the Zulu nation itself. In which case, the convergence of Ingandra uh, storm and what is happening within the Zulu Royal House together will contribute to the creation of political, social, and economic instability in the country. And then you have, of course, the conflict between the ANC, where there is a possible convergence coming between the Zuma factor and the Ace Mahashula factor, both of whom who are facing criminal charges in our cause. Both their supporters have alleged that the judiciary and President Cyril Ramaphosa have enjoined themselves to a conspiracy against them. That too may contribute to a climate of instability. And of course, we have the COVID-19 crisis, which as I said, the ANC has mishandled. 
And as a result of which, there is another storm of discontent that cuts across class. It is not only those who are poor. It is not only those who are working class we should worry about. We should worry about the fact that the middle class across race is being decimated. We have a situation where many who are middle class are facing the prospect of impoverization. And if this happens, what we are heading towards is a perfect storm of discontent, the discontent of the poor, the working class, the working poor, and the middle class. All these factors combined may contribute to a climate that creates conditions for deeper levels of political uncertainty and policy uncertainty. Now, of course, it can be argued that what can save the country from internal ructions in the ANC infecting the country as a whole is the ANC suffering decisive losses in the upcoming local government elections and the 2024 general election. Now, that hope is not misplaced because if you go back to the 2009 election, since then, the ANC has been losing between four and five percentage points and is now sitting at 57% nationally, which means within two or three elections, there is a possibility that the ANC may fall below 50%. In fact, in Gauteng, we may be only one election away from the ANC losing power. And if these two scenarios eventuate, then power shifts from the single party dominance of the ANC, possibly to a coalition government because it is highly unlikely that when the ANC falls below 50%, there will be another party that wins an absolute majority. The ANC, in my view, the first time it falls below 50%, will still win a relative majority, in which case it will become part of government in a coalition arrangement or will sit in opposition benches if the other parties together put up a coalition government. Now, the ANC losing power and either becoming part of a coalition government or sitting in opposition benches because opposition parties have put together a coalition arrangement is something from which we must take cold comfort if we're concerned about policy certainty. We've seen how unstable coalition arrangements have been at the level of local government. And this will simply be transferred to the national sphere with a debilitating impact on policy certainty at national level. So the immediate impact of the ANC falling below 50% may not be positive because it may usher in a new phase of uh, policy uncertainty. Now, 
There is another way of looking at this. We are concerned today that the supporters of Jacob Zuma will unleash a climate of instability on the country. That is only true and only makes sense if we are not exaggerating the levels of support for Jacob Zuma. If we are, the scenario of instability caused by the supporters of Jacob Zuma will not materialize. In its place, we will have something that is partially already in At the moment, President Cyril Ramaphosa is in charge of the ANC. He is in charge of the NEC of the ANC, which means that gives him an opportunity between now and the next ANC conference in December 2022 to create a new majority in the ANC. And beyond 2022, both as ANC president and head of state after the 2024 elections, even more opportunities to create a new majority in the ANC and therefore stamp his authority even further on the state or the government. And that would work very well for him. And the country would avoid a debilitating state of political and policy uncertainty if Ramaphosa remains in charge and Jacob Zuma is weakened because the levels of political support we assumed he enjoys do not materialize. But another scenario is a scenario in which Cyril Ramaphosa, yes, enjoys the support of the majority of the leaders of the ANC and the members of the ANC, but that majority is slim, in which case the current situation will persist, where, yes, the balance of support and the balance of forces favor him, but he cannot make decisive decisions without the consent of his enemies or opponents within the party. So when we look at what is likely to happen between now and 2024 in particular, it is in terms of the scenarios that I have sketched eventuating or not eventuating to the advantage or disadvantage of Cyril Ramaphosa and to the advantage and disadvantage of the country as far as political and policy uncertainty are concerned. Let me, let me leave it there for now. Perfect. Thanks so much, uh, Aubrey. Um, before we turn to, to Q&A, just a reminder, if you want to submit a question, please do so. Um, I see there has been a, a few questions coming through already. Um, Aubrey, I'll kick off. Um, we'll go straight to Q&A if, if you're happy with that. Um, so let's start with the first question. Um, how important will regional factionalism be in the ANC Electoral Conference? Um, and will it play a different Will it play out differently compared to the past conferences, especially given the branch formation 
that is currently on the spotlight light, as will be the campaign funding, which uh, the dynamics there, of course, is also also changing. Well, in the past, Walter, uh, the regional split or the provincial split, split actually has been important. When Jacob Zuma defeated Tabumbeki in 2007, the provincial split was five in favor of Jacob Zuma and four provinces in favor of Tabumbeki. And in actual numbers, it uh, translated into a 60-40% split in favor of Jacob Zuma in 2007. The same happened in um, 2012. But this time, almost all the provinces in the ANC went with Jacob Zuma. And Jacob Zuma won by a margin of about 80%. If you go to the December 2017 conference, the regional or provincial split was quite tight because in the end, Cyril Ramaphosa wins by a margin of just over 200 votes because of one province, Mpumala. It is because Didi Mabusa, the current deputy president of the country, and the ANC changed his mind and put his weight behind Cyril Ramaphosa at the 11th hour when it had been assumed that his province would support in Kosazana, Dlamini Zoma. So in 2017, dependent on one province, um, and, and that is uh, Mpumala. Going forward, uh, we will have to look at the balance of support and the balance of forces differently. Because broadly speaking, there are two factions now, the so-called radical economic transformation forces and the so-called Tumamina um, faction supports the president. As I've already indicated, the balance of support within the National Executive Committee of the ANC is in favor of the president. If this reflects overall support in the party as a whole, then it is safe to assume that Cyril Ramaphosa is the next president of the ANC and the next head of state in 2024. And maybe just to a short follow-on question to exactly that, if we are to assume, safe to assume that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa will be the next president of the country and the ANC, um, do you think it will be with a fairly strong support or majority within the NEC, or will it be marginal as it has been at the previous elective conference? Well, we, we must look at the possibility that Jacob Zuma will become less and less of a factor. In fact, next year, what we must look at as possible candidates Cyril Ramaphosa, the front runner. Uh, there is a demand from the ANC Women's League that in 2022, the ANC must elect a woman 
for the first time as its president. If the ANC agrees to this, it, that eliminates uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. The ANC is not going to, I can say that without any fear of contradiction, that the ANC is not going to accede to the demand that in 2022 it must elect a, a woman as its president. Then the candidates who come to the fore will be Didi Mabuza himself. I am not sure Didi Mabuza is healthy enough to mount a challenge. As you know, uh, he is seeking medical help in uh, Russia as we speak. So Didi Mabuza may not be healthy enough, but the question is whether he's a candidate or not. Will Mpumalanga, his province, be behind him as a kingmaker? The answer is no. His power in, in Pumalanga has, has dwindled substantially. So he does not have a province to deliver um, in the 2022 succession battle. And then there's Paul Mashatile, who is another possible candidate. If you look at these candidates, I am convinced that if this is how the, the, candid, the race will be configured, Cyril Ramaphosa still remains uh, the front runner and uh, will win the race. By emerging, in my view, that will be slightly bigger than what we saw in Nazareth, particularly because the so-called radical economic transformation forces have become decidedly discredited. The question is, what will he do then? with that uh, slightly larger majority? Will it impact on him making the tough policy decisions, particularly economic decisions, decisions about state-owned enterprises that he needs to make? Thank you. So the next question um, relates to, to Ace Mahishule and the saga you know, current, currently around him. How do you see that playing out? And has the recent decision on Zuma weakened um, you know, ACE faction um, in general? Well, again, we, we must make one of two assumptions. Assumption number one, the levels of support for Jacob Zuma and ACE Mahashule are not being exaggerated. If that assumption becomes reality, then you are going to see a convergence between the supporters of Ace Mahashule and the supporters of Jacob Zuma, all of whom sit within what we call the radical economic transformation faction. In which case, whoever the radical economic transformation forces support as a candidate will be able to mount, mount a serious challenge to Cyril Ramaphosa. That notwithstanding, I, I still think the advantages of incumbency will favor Cyril Ramaphosa, no matter how slight. If it turns out this assumption is wrong, then it is over with both Jacob Zuma and Ace Mahashule. In fact, what might follow 
is that both of them might find themselves in jail, having been convicted on charges of uh, corruption, fraud, money laundering, and racketeering. In fact, when that happens in this scenario, Ace Mahashule, in my view, will not even be a member of the ANC because the ANC shall have expelled him. Because remember, when he was suspended, he wrote a letter, sent a letter, suspending the president of uh, the ANC. And what will follow then is that the ANC will put up a disciplinary process, and I have no doubt, if this coincides with um, levels of support that are too low for him, he will be expelled from the ANC. Thank you. Um, a related question before maybe we just move on to, to a slight um, slant of questions. Um, how do you, because you know, obviously for a lot of people on this call, you know, the important, the important aspect about the whole um, developments within the ANC um, would be policy certainty and how, how the, the changes are made. And you've mentioned that, you know, if, if Cyril wins a slight, slightly greater margin um, in the ANC, um, you've, you've mentioned that you know, it will all depend on how he, he deals with the structural change, etc. Um, so, I mean, how do you think um, South Africa looks post-2022 under such a scenario? And will he, in fact, continue with his structural reform program and, and, and push it through? Obviously not easy, and you know, I think everybody understands it's unlikely that everything will be pushed through, but you know, do you judge him on, on what he's done so far and what he wants to achieve, or will it be a completely different president? Well, let's look at what, at what has happened just over the past few weeks. Firstly, you have the privatization of SAA. Uh, people will use another name. The, the, the fact that what happened with the SAA did happen suggests that Ramaphosa and those who support him are emboldened. And, and therefore, it means their reading of the balance of support and the balance of forces within the party is such that going forward, they may even be more bold in the policy uh, positions that they, they adopt to satisfy a demand from ratings agencies and international investors for structural reforms. And if you look at what uh, was announced with regard to uh, the, the, the energy challenge, there too, you, you see a signal that you are dealing with a Ramaphosa who has become more confident. Confident possibly because, like me, his reading of the balance of support in the ANC is that it favors him. Now, all of this coincides with something I find interesting. The ANC has never been more unpopular. This is why it is important to study closely what voters are doing and saying. And remember that in the 2019 general election, 18.18 million South Africans who were eligible to vote did not bother to vote. Now, that is not a party. 
What we saw there are 18 million South Africans showing a lack of confidence in the capacity of elections to deliver a better life for them, and therefore in the capacity of our democracy to deliver a better life for them. So you might have a situation where, yes, Cyril Ramaphosa is in charge, and maybe the ANC wins the uh, next general election, but also with a lower uh, margin. And if that happens, this might take away from what I've just said. Cyril may not be as bold as I have suggested if in 2029 he is worried the ANC might fall below 50%. Now, if I'm, a, I'm sitting in a ratings agency, if I'm a, an international investor, what I will be looking at, firstly, is the outcome of the 2022 National Conference and the policy framework that will be adopted by the 2022 uh, National Conference. And what I will be looking at is whether the policy framework that will be adopted by the 2022 National Conference, the highest decision-making body, is a signal that there's going to be a change in direction towards acceding more to the demands of international investors and ratings agencies. If coming out of the 2022 conference is a Cyril Ramaphosa who does not have a strong mandate, is re-elected, yes, but does not have a strong mandate, sitting as a ratings agency or an international investor watching this, I will not be confident that the structural reforms I have been demanding will materialize during the next term of government, 2024 to 2029. And that will have, of course, implications for growth and other economic factors. Thank you, Aubrey. Um, the next, uh, I've, I've bunched uh, two questions together here because they, uh, they might be might be related and you can tell us, us otherwise if they're not. Um, why, why is it so difficult for the president to make cabinet reshuffles? Um, is it related also to his position within the party? And also, as I said, the, the other question, which I'll just throw in here as well, is what's the future of Zwelin Kizeh? Um, within the ANC. Um, is that also um, uncertain, or how should we look at that? Well, if unconfirmed reports about what is contained in the SIE, I mean, SIU report, uh, anything to go by, the, the report forges a link Uh, between the nefarious activities of the communications company in question, a company that is run by people who are very close uh, to Mkiza in the health department, and Mkiza himself. Now, if what we are hearing is true about what is contained in the SIU report, Mkiza is toast. And that is why I was not surprised 
by an article in the Sunday Times in which some alleged that there was a meeting, at which meeting Mkise alleged that he was a victim of a political conspiracy at the head of which is Cyril uh, Ramaphosa to prevent him from becoming a presidential candidate in 2022. Even if he survives his current challenges, Mkise, in my view, is not the next president of uh, the ANC, is therefore not the next president of the country between 2024 and 2029. So I go back to my view that the questions which matter, assuming that Cyril Ramaphosa, as I do, is the next president of the ANC and the country. The question that matter is whether he gets a strong enough mandate. And if he gets a strong enough mandate, what does he do with it in policy terms? I think there was a second question also. Yeah, that's, um, that's great. Um, thank you so much. The... Um... Oh, you mean the, the, the second question was just related to the uh, cabinet reshuffles? Why is that so difficult for Mr. to push You see, people, including myself, by the way, have made a, a wrong assumption about Cyril. I have argued that uh, President Ramaphosa is weak for both objective and subjective reasons. Objectively, um, he is held hostage by the balance of forces within the party, and there's very little he can do about that. That's an objective reality beyond his control. I've also argued that subjectively he's weak because of his subjective weaknesses as a leader. That is only half the story. The story is contradictory, but true. I am now of the view that he is both weak and ruthless as a political operator. And I think Mkise today will agree with me. Uh, He reminds me of a a midfielder in soccer who does not run much, who allows the ball to do the running. That is my reassessment of uh, Ramaphosa as a political operator. Therefore, He is not dithering in not making uh, the um, cabinet reshuffle. I think he is calculating what configuration of the reshuffle will cause a chilling effect on the part of his opponents and for some of them to align themselves uh, with him. And therefore, what configuration uh, of uh, the cabinet reshuffle will win him more support. And in this regard, timing is going to be everything. Thank you. Um, next question is around, once again, the president and, and um, you know, land reform. Um, so will a stronger president uh, drive land reform in its current uh, form as it as it sits within ANC if he wins a, a second term? Or do you think 
that might change slightly in terms of how they look to implement and and the developments around that well i i almost burst out laughing uh, as we are starting to ask the question i i still don't understand why people think the ANC will implement expropriation of land without compensation if you want to understand whether the ANC is serious about land reform and therefore expropriation of land without compensation look at the budget allocation for land reform it tells you everything you need to know it is so small that i remain to be persuaded that this budget allocation is a signal that the anc is serious about radical land reform but secondly my own information about the work that is going on within the anc and parliament about amending section 25 of the constitution the property clause is that there will be some tinkering yes uh, with section 25 but radical uh, land reform expropriation of land without compensation at least in the manner that the radical economic transformation forces are demanding is not in the offing what is in the offing is yes some tinkering, as I said, an amendment to Section 25. But there will be qualifications. So, so the amendment will use the language of expropriation of land without compensation. But the qualifications will take the sting out of the demand for radical economic transformation. I mean, um, expropriation of land without compensation. Okay. Thank you, Aubrey. I'm going to um, give you, we've, we've uh, effectively run out of time and there's quite a few questions left. I'm going to go with two last questions, if, if that's okay with you. Um, so, so the first question would be, if you look at the current development of the, within the ANC, and you know, I think you've touched on some of it already, um, and also try to be realistic in terms of what the possible outcomes could be. What, what do you think is the best outcome for South Africa, both from a, a social and an economic perspective um, around the 2022 um, ANC conference um, and, and what might transpire be, um, beyond that? Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, what do you think would be best for South Africa? For me, the, the, the best outcome is an outcome that delivers a much higher level levels of policy uncertainty, I mean certainty, much higher levels of policy certainty. I don't care who becomes the president of the ANC in 2022 or head of state in 2024, as long as that individual has a strong mandate, firstly, when he is elected president of the ANC in December 2022, and secondly, when the ANC, um, if it wins, wins the election in 2024. So for me, what delivers political, I mean, policy certainty is a strong mandate from the party behind the individual becomes ANC president, and a strong mandate from the country, from an election, if the ANC wins. 
And hopefully, then that individual provides leadership to both the party and the government to make the difficult policy decisions that need to be made. Thank you. Then um, last question. Um, and this is more around the the uh, COVID relief and COVID um, the restrictions, COVID and the COVID pandemic in general. Um, you know, given all the constraints that, that the ANC has faced and the country has faced, you know, what do you think the ANC could have could have done different um, and how should they have handled it differently? Um, also, of course, keeping in mind the challenges that South Africa is going to face over the next 12 and 24 months um, around, around the pandemic as a whole. Well, last year, after Minister Tito Mboweni delivered his budget speech, I was a very worried man. Go back to the speech, you'll see. There's not a single COVID-19 scenario in that speech. And I wondered, how could it be that a South African finance minister in February 2020 could stand up and deliver a budget that does not have a single COVID-19 scenario? Since then, the ANC government has has been playing catch-up. But also, it is now very clear that the ANC government has not always listened to the scientists. Many weeks ago, Professor um, Karim argued that measures had to be taken then, either to take the sting out of the third wave or to prevent it from happening. Because what he argued correctly is that when it is announced tonight, for this argument's sake, that 15,000 new cases um, have emerged, the infections happened two weeks ago. So there's a two weeks lag. And so not only do we have that two weeks lag, but we have an AC government that has been playing catch up in other ways in its response to um, the COVID-19 crisis. But also, the ANC government has not been truthful about the challenges it had to face when it comes to the vaccine rollout program and therefore the the availability of vaccines and when they would become available. By now, a much larger number of South Africans should have been vaccinated. And therefore, one of the reasons we have such a devastating uh, third wave is because of these failures on the part of government. But also, if you want to understand what's really going on on the COVID front, talk to the CEOs of hospitals, talk to the scientists, not the politicians. The politicians, to be frank, are lying to us about the true nature of the COVID-19 crisis. Now, we need to bridge the gap, the gap between what scientists are saying, what health workers are saying on the one hand, and what politicians are doing on the other, and the quality of decisions politicians at government level are taking. If the current situation persists, firstly, there'll be more pressure from the private sector to procure vaccines 
on its own. And secondly, there'll be more South Africans who lose confidence in the ANC. And therefore, the kind of serious electoral losses I'm talking about may occur much sooner than anticipated because of the ANC's mishandling of the COVID-19 crisis. And much sooner because of the economic impact this mishandling continues to have. Right, Aubrey, I was just told uh, we have uh, three more minutes. <laughs> um, unfortunately for you, uh, the, the questions continue to come through fast and thick. Um, so with your permission, I'm going to ask you one more related question to this. Any thoughts um, on the national health um, uh, insurance, the NHI, and um, you know, especially once again, the politics around that? Well, um, again, I almost burst out laughing. For me, that question doesn't arise. If you look at the state of the ruling party and the state of the state, the state is in no position to do anything decisive about NHI. So there are many things we can worry about. The possibility of the state implementing the NHI anytime soon is quite remote. Okay. That is, um, I think, quite clear and to the point. Um, so to wrap up the call, um, you, you've mentioned a, a couple of times that, you know, probably the best and realistic scenario, at least if you think about it from a policy certainty perspective, um, it would be if, if Cyril Ramposa wins with a slightly stronger mandate than he has now. Um, to wrap it up, I mean, if you have to give us two or three things to, to, to look at between now and 2022, the end of 2022, um, to kind of give us an indication whether he is gaining in strength and support or whether he's actually losing strength and, and support. What would that be? Well, I mean, I, I can say with uh, confidence that at the moment he is gaining in support. And that is why I go back to the question. What does he do with that support? Does the support embolden him? Embolden him? Secondly, that his support is growing within the party it needs to coincide with higher levels of, appro- of uh, approval among citizens who are not members and supporters of uh, the ANC. If the two converge, then you might have a Cyril Ramaphosa who is a bit, a bit more decisive in making the policy decisions that he needs to make. But let me end with a warning. Um, the black swans have not disappeared. Um, for, for, for those of us who either have forgotten what black, black swan scenarios are or don't know, when we talk about the Black Swan scenario, we are talking about a decision or decisions, a phenomenon or phenomena, an event or events outside the realm of regular expectation, which produce an outcome that was not anticipated. 
that is still in the offing. In, in my view, there are many black swans waiting to materialize. What are they? We cannot say. Because if we were able to say, then they are not black swan scenarios, are they? Very true. Very true. Um, thank you so much, uh, Aubrey. It's fascinating. Um, uh, you know, we've had many questions coming through, and unfortunately, you know, we're running out of time. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can continue for, for days around this topic. Um, thank you for your expertise. Thank you for spending time with us. Um, You're most welcome. can see you're a true scholar of this field. Um, we appreciate it. Everybody, thanks so much for dialing in today. Um, hope you found it insightful. And of course, if there's um, any questions related to the subject and the research field, please feel free to, to reach out to us. Thank you.